Hi, I'm Sam. And hi, I'm Katya. So we have a great first podcast today, Sam. Why don't you tell us what it's going to be about? Yeah, thanks, Katya. Well, today is actually all about us. We thought it would be great for people to get to know who we are and what better way to tell them about us than to take them on the journey of our personal experiences that we have had in bringing U21 to life. Fantastic. And I think describing it as a journey is a great way to put it. You know, we had always planned to become U21 since really the end of last year, but I don't really think we'd ever anticipated we'd be doing it during a global pandemic and trying to work 100% virtually while we also had to completely reshape everything we did for a virtual world. Oh, that is so right. Um, It was certainly a time of rapid learning, wasn't it? Talk about igniting change and transforming cultures. Well, and as well as talking about ourselves, we also have our special guest today, Richard Harmer. He is our very own developmental psychologist and executive coach. And Richard very skillfully helped us through a few activities, which absolutely consolidated the merger. He paved the way for us to let go of what we would no longer take forward and embrace what the new skills and mindsets were that we needed in order to come together. Oh, I love Richard and I love working with Richard. And in fact, how funny, I was only talking to my husband about the other day and it feels very billionaire, doesn't it? Having our own developmental psychologist. Oh, it but certainly does. Richard will provide insights into how he supported U21 and share some powerful approaches to helping people adapt and thrive. We really hope you enjoyed the episode. I mean, I think for context for our audience, U21 has been a merger between quite literally two great companies, G2 Innovation Australia, which you were obviously one of the co-founders of, and the Agile 11, and ultimately a joint decision between both organisations. No doubt for you, Sean, your experience of this merger was different to mine. I think as G2 Innovation was yours and your husband's baby, I imagine letting go of it must have come with a number of different emotions. Why don't we start, like, I, I guess, who, who was G2 Innovation? So G2 Innovation uh, was an innovation training and consultancy company. So we supported organisations to become more innovative, to be more curious and creative and to develop their products and services and bring them to life. Yeah. Um, we also embedded new mindsets, changed the way people thought and the way they pursued change within their organizations. We, we also ran a training arm. So we ran a lot of workshops across Australia, particularly in design thinking. I was just thinking, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you guys were successful, very successful at what you, what you did and what you do. And, and am I right in thinking you'd actually won a number of awards? Yeah, we we did actually. So we won an Australian training award for a program that we ran called Destination Entrepreneur, which took small businesses from the greater Geelong area of Victoria through an innovation program. And these businesses absolutely soared. They were amazing. And we also won an award for some work we did with Health Queensland, which was more about embedding the skills and mindsets of innovation and developing talent. So yeah, we, we did some pretty exciting things and we were very lucky to be recognised for it. Oh, that's so amazing. Well, so knowing all of that, what, what led to the merger? Why would such a successful organisation decide to forces with, with another one when you were so successful at what you did? Strangely, we knew uh, Eduardo Nofuentes, who is the CEO or was the director of the Agile 11. And 
one day, Andrew, who um, is my husband and co-founder of G2 Innovation, was in Hobart, got a tap on the shoulder in a hotel, and there was Eduardo. And both of them were working in Hobart that day for different companies. And they got chatting about the businesses and their direction and it, the realisation that actually the purpose of G2 Innovation and the purpose of Agile 11 were really um, mm -hmm. interconnected. But the way that we did things was different. So obviously the Agile 11 taking a more agile approach, G2 Innovation taking a more design thinking approach. So when we got talking, we thought, imagine if we came together and what we could achieve for people and organizations together by bringing yeah. our, our different skill sets. That's where it all started really, was just thinking about who we wanted to help yeah. and how we could do it so much better. Mm. I, I think it's amazing. I remember when I first met met you guys, I could see absolutely the natural synergies between both teams of what we did. Synergies, but the complement, how they complemented one another and actually made an even better proposition for our customers. And I'm, I'm mindful, you know, like when we're, we're talking about igniting change and transforming cultures, and when we look within, like that's exactly what we've done. We've, we've, we've transformed both organisations into one and and through that, I guess in my experience, change is not always easy, even when it's desired. I'm really keen to learn from your experience, I guess, of this merger. What was it like? You know, like it, it, it's kind of a funny thing, isn't it? Like when you're an individual, you, we want to, we want to be making this change, but when you actually come together as two organizations, you start to see the fundamental differences uh, mm -hmm. in the way that we do things. And no doubt with that, that can cause friction. And you kind of have to learn what well, what is it that I'm letting go of in order to gain something new. And I'm I'm keen to understand what what was your experience of merging with such a different organisation whilst the synergies were there. I know the way we did things was different. So what was that like for you, Sean? Yeah, it's a really good question, and it's interesting because Andrew and I and the G two team would talk about oh this you know it's going to be difficult. We're going to you know it's it's not going to be easy. But we didn't really know what that would look like, what that not being easy really was. And at first, there was a lot of excitement and realising the potential mm. was very exciting. But I think where those differences really came out was probably because, uh, as you know, when you hire people, there's a tendency to hire people that mirror you. And whether that's right or wrong, but you do look for people that you, you relate to. And I think that the Agile 11 team were very relationship-led. And I think our way of thinking is probably more data-led decisions. And so when we first started coming together, there was some friction in that we would approach things from a different perspective. And yep. we all were trying to understand that different perspective. And I think when um, you're data-led, you can be a bit slower because you're looking for the research that that this is the best decision to make going forward yep. and some of those processes take a, a bit longer whereas at agile 11 and by the name agile you move fast you yep. know you make quick decisions and because your people people a lot on instinct there's no right or wrong way they were just different yep. ways and i guess there was a blending of understanding i felt that once we sort of let ourselves experience each other's way and see the benefits that yes. that we started to um, really gel and not see the differences as a poor reflection 
on ourselves, which yeah, which you sure. can do when you're going, wow, they move so fast. Yeah. Oh, what's the matter with me? Or vice versa. <laughs> when you go, oh, hang on, I bring this, you bring that, bring it together. And, you know, it's, it's not just one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals six. I think, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I, for the, for the audience that, that may not know me, I mean, I came out of Qantas Airways and my last role there was in our loyalty, the loyalty part of our business. And I joined a team and I just happened to join when they were doing some, what they call TMS profiling, which is really around understanding what our preferences are in the way we work. And what that profiling told me was I'd, I was in a team of analytics. So not unlike what you're describing, Sean, where, you know, you're data-led and you're looking for the research and looking for the metrics or, the, or the, the numbers that will tell, you know, what's the right approach. And I'm probably naturally, like you said, I've found myself in the Agile 11 and I come from that part of probably being a little bit more relationship led and interesting. I'm sort of in the middle. I can flip either way, but I'm probably have a preference more to instinct and relationship led and knowing that is one thing, but how do you, you know, how, how to work with one another effectively and still get the right out, you know, get the best outcomes for both, both groups is actually, uh, it's quite an interesting thing because the way, the way each party looks at it is so different how did you, I mean, how did you navigate that? Because I'd imagine, and I might be wrong, but I'd imagine some of your people might have been coming to you going, well, hang on, hang on a second. These people don't know what they're doing or, you know, why are they making these decisions? We haven't quite worked. So how did you navigate that without feeling like you were creating these two very different teams? Yeah. So I I don't recall um, specifically anyone coming to me with with that sort of like oh they don't know what they're doing or anything like that it was more I don't know how I fit how am I going to be valuable in this new environment and I think there was a lot of from I would imagine from everyone questioning of their own role and their own value and there was a lot of individual learning and human connection that needed to take place because ultimately that you need to have trust in a team and you don't just get trust because the founders say, hey, we're merging and these, these com- this company's great and you're really going to love them. That doesn't make trust. It, you know, it may create some inspiration yes. and excitement, but you don't get trust from that. So to achieve trust, you have to uh, have patience as well. Yep. Yep. But you have to be intentional So I I remember one day we had a team meeting and it was a sort of retrospective. It was about a month in to us starting to work together. And I remember feeling in the meeting that there was a sense of people not wanting to tread on each other's toes Mm. and not, and like someone would say something and they might disagree, but the way that people were disagreeing was very tentative and some people weren't saying anything at all. And I remember at that moment thinking, I haven't really done a lot to get to know people in this team. Like there are some people that I've worked with, I'm working with on the new brand. And if people don't really know me, then are they going to raise some concerns they have or share their ideas with me? And likewise, that was across the board. And I was thinking, hey, how do I feel about sharing an idea with someone that I haven't spoken to it? So it was that point that I went, oh, I think I need to reach out and have some virtual coffees because of course we weren't coming together in a face-to-face environment this was all being done remotely and which again increases that 
Absolutely. challenge of connection. So for me, I then went, okay, I need to be intentional about this. This is not, I'm not going to be able to expedite trust unless I take a step towards creating it. Right. And I was actually, I was about to say, you know, can you imagine joining an organization now where you're a hundred, especially Victorians, you're a hundred percent remote. So you're onboarded remotely and then you have and engage remotely with a team that you don't even know who they are or how they exist. And as I was thinking that, I was thinking, well, actually, that was pretty much what we did during the pandemic. You know, we, we came together and we were having to do all of that. But I like what you said around putting intent around it. Like, how many times do you see that organisations just hit the ground running to get the work done, but forget that humans are in the middle of that work? Mm. And unless they have that trust and that relationship and put some intent around building that relationship, how, you know, unproductive that can be in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and people are messy, you know, they, are they have all sorts of emotions and all sorts of fears and things going on mm. and you throw in a pandemic and, you know, kids at home, homeschooling, and there's all sorts of messy emotions going on. And, and when you don't know people in a, in a safe way, you, you know, you're, you're not going to share those things. And when you're not sharing, you start to make stories up in your head about what other people are thinking or what's actually going on behind the scenes. So that was a big thing that we, we were intentional about is to keep talking and to come together as a team. We, we come together twice a week. Sometimes we're coming together more than that when needed. Well, so with the coming together, what, what, how did that work? Like what were the, what was the, the intent behind coming together and how did you resolve, how do you feel like issues or friction was resolved? So I think we, we kept talking, but more than that, we started really listening as mm-hmm. well. And we have a group at uh, New 21 who are called the OGs. And that stands for the original gangsters. It's, it's the sort of foundational members of G2 Innovation and the Agile 11. Mm. We have as a group really focused on listening to what people are saying to us and really exploring and thinking about what are, what are the needs of the people within our team at this time and then how, how can we help everyone. Yes. And also listening to ideas that people are coming to us with about the information they need. So uh, we have these regular lunch and learns and that's, you know, and that's not led by the OGs at all. It's led by people within the team, but it's, in, it's encouraged. You know, if you, if you need information from people about what they're doing or about how we're going to pro- progress this, or you want to share something that you're doing so that p- there's greater transparency, yes. then, then we, you know, encourage that, everyone is takes accountability for that they don't need permission yeah to share i love that and i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna diverge a little bit from you mentioned the ogs and i think this is the thing that often people forget is the unintended consequences of change can sometimes happen without you realizing it and the ogs was one that i i experienced you know like I now know that it's original gangsters but when i first heard the term ogs i think it was during one of our stand-ups and I remember going, who, who, who or what is the OGs and what does it even mean? And, and it's funny, like, I think, so I don't know how, how the OGs came about, but in the stand-up, when I heard about it, my immediate thought 
input was, well, who is this group? What, what do they do? And why aren't I in it? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I mean, I'm, I guess I've, I've worked around change um, enough and worked in organizations enough to know you can't be part of every conversation. And, and I remember that day that OGs was announced and I remember feeling like, Oh no, (laughs) The secret's out that there's this other group, you know, which wasn't right, you know, because we want transparency, but I think we didn't, we, we hadn't quite understood ourselves, who, what our role was. We just knew that in order to create something bigger than us, we needed some decisions to be made that mm-hmm. if it was, it would slow it down if it was decision by committee. Yes. And whilst we understood that everyone in the team brings value and there's no sense that we're this group of people would be better at making those decisions. It's just, it was just a case of, well, some of these decisions need to be made and they need to be made fast in order to progress this merger. And I think when that meeting happened, we actually really had the conversation about, well, who are we and how do we encourage leadership without us being perceived as the only leaders within the organization and the leadership team. But yeah, it had consequences because every decision that you take has an equal and opposite reaction (laughs) as well. And we hadn't probably given it the right amount of conscious thought beforehand Mm -hmm. and how that would impact the rest of the team. And Mm -hmm. I think as you, as I said, that was partly because we, didn't feel entirely comfortable with the positioning we did ourselves. You know, what's interesting, and, and I think you mentioned trust before, and I think, you know, ultimately it was obviously, it sounds like it was almost an organic, organic creation of, of a team, a sub-team. But the reality is as a group, we have such transparency and such trust that's been built up over time. I quickly got over what I thought about, you know, was thinking about because I recognised that, you know, like you said, you know, decisions still need to get made and decisions are being made not only in the OGs, but actually across the group. And that I can't be in every conversation. So there was a sense for me that very quickly recognising, yeah, it's just a, it's, it's another part of our business and that part of our business is sometimes making decisions um, about some things and there are other groups in the business that are making decisions about other things it's not hierarchy it's just it's just a smart use of the team for specific reasons but often in organizations when there is hierarchy it, it those sorts of things can cause no end of pain but yeah, I don't feel like that's that's what we are in any way or form. No, and it's really interesting you touch on on that feeling of not being able to be in every meeting because I think for me that's been one of the biggest challenges of the merger. G2 was a small team and unlike the Agile 11, which were remote first, we actually had an office where the majority of us went to every day. And so I was across every sort of decision that was being made. I felt very in control of every aspect of the business and then come together as a merger and people with lots of different strengths and experiences. I did get this sense of, oh, I'm losing control. Oh, I'm not in every decision. And that was one of the, the biggest things that I had to, to let go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of, that is what 
happens on a very big scale in all organisations is how do you organise yourself? How do you help the work flow and, and make it flow in the most appropriate way? But how do you do it in a way that's inclusive and not exclusive? And I feel like that's what we're so much about. And I feel like what this merger gave us was the ability you know, was our own experience of that and how we how we organise ourselves. And, and I mean, and that's, you know, that's it. we talk about self-organising teams. As, as we're talking, I've realised, you know, that's what the OGs was in a sense, was a self-organising team where it made sense to do so. Yeah. And as we've progressed, you know, who's working on what has also, has also transformed as we've gone. And it's not, we've put intent around i feel like we put intent around the cadence of that we came together what we were coming together about how we were talking about the work there was all intent around that but there hasn't necessarily been intent in a traditional sense around who was working on what and if i think about what we do i mean it's it's funny actually is talking it becomes even more clear to me around transforming you know cultures and and igniting change in the way that we do it is about giving the platform with which to have those conversations and then, but how it eventuates, who's doing what actually is almost a little bit organic and independent Mm. of role and role description because self-organizing teams in some ways is about, is literally about, well, you're naturally going to lean into something that you know, and that you're good at. And we've done that, you know, we've, OGs is a classic example you know you guys were the original founders of organizations so therefore you understand the business context and the administration of the business and the decisions that need to be made around that which is separate to the work that we do with clients and separate to the work that we do internally so we mentioned at the beginning of the of the beginning of our our podcast that we were going to be talking to Richard Harmer who's the CEO of Holos Group and also a founder of his own organisation, the Whole Loss Group. What was his, you know, how did he come to play with the OGs? Like, what was what was his role within that? Or, you know, why did you invite him into that particular group? What was he solving for, you know? Yeah. So we talked about trust before and we talked a little bit about that fear of uh, treading on people's toes uh, across the team at New 21, but this was also ever present within the OGs as well, as we were all trying to find our feet, especially when you've got a group of leaders that, you know, had had strong opinions and strong ways of doing things in the past and having to come together mm. and um, sort of work together well. And whilst we I certainly wouldn't say there was massive conflict or anything like that. As I said, it takes, it takes time and it takes conversation. And sometimes it's uh, really beneficial to have someone who um, can take a sort of more external outside look in and, and help you navigate those conversations and look at the situation and look at, um, yourself and the people around you in different ways. And Richard came in to help specifically with that element because if the OGs weren't working as um, effectively as they could be then the wider team would not be working as effectively as they could be yeah and uh, you know uh, again I'm mindful as you were talking I'm thinking as organizations often you can focus so much on the work and what needs to get done that you forget this human element you can forget 
how much intent or, 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 or that you need to even focus on how do you build trust within a team? How do you help them see the bigger picture? How do you look at what needs, you know, what's working and what's not working? And it's great to have that external view that's not wedded to the outcome. Absolutely. There were moments when we were saying to ourselves, we know this stuff. <laughs> you know, we're good at this stuff, but actually you still, even though you're, you're training people in it and you know, sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's hard to see without having somebody um, from outside. Being the helicopter view. Well, it might now be the, the right time to, to bring in Richard because I'd love to hear what, his, you know, what, his, what he did and, and what you, your experience was with that. So let's, let's bring Richard in, who, as I mentioned, is a leading organisational psychologist. He's the CEO and founder of the Holos Group, and he works with us at New21 to help us to be better as a team and as a, as a business overall. Well, welcome to the show, Richard. Um, it's great to have you with us. Well, thank you for uh, the invitation. Our pleasure. So for our audience, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Richard, and your relationship with New21? Yeah, so well, professionally, I'm a developmental psychologist and entrepreneur and a change maker. I've got two kids. Oh, two. Oh, my God, I've forgotten Harry. I've got three kids. Um, <laughs> Harry, <laughs> Harry's not one easy to be forgotten, by the way. <laughs> um, and I am a poet and I, a photographer as well. Oh, I didn't um, know you were a poet, Richard. Yeah, I've got a published work, um, Stillness, oh, a, wow. a, a collection of poetry that's out there as well, which was really just a reflection. I was, I was going through my own developmental process of actually how it started was I realized that my clients were telling me that I was becoming increasingly complex in how I tried to explain the work that we were doing. So yeah. poetry, specifically a type of poetry called haiku, which is uh, about getting succinct. And the practice mm. was how do I explain my day in three lines? And that started the practice of simplifying complexity and then evolved from, from there. So I, have a, I do have a book of poetry out there. I love um, that, Richard. My, mm. my children are doing haiku poems at the moment in their homeschooling. So hey, I might Laura, come to you for some advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so as I said, developmental psychologist, entrepreneur, change maker. And what I'm really passionate about is helping people explore, create, liberate and realise their potential. That's really the thing that fills me with joy. Which is exactly why we came to you, Richard, because, um, as you know, the um, coming together of well, two organisations at any point, two organisations during a pandemic, <laughs> there are going to be times that aren't easy. And for every person within the team came to the table with different ways of working and different ways of seeing things. And so I'm interested that when you first started working with both teams, what did you observe, you know, psychologically and otherwise? Yeah, so to take a, a step back from that question ever so slightly, I've known some of the team a lot longer than others. So I first worked with uh, and became uh, a part of the Agile 11 probably, I think, four years ago, maybe. And I helped Eduardo on the team on a range of things. But the key project I was working on with the team is 
then, and I think it's still the same now, is focusing on building an amazing group of people that that have unwavering self-belief. I remember, I the, I remember the evening over a glass of wine with Eduardo and I know we've got the work of the, of the work, but actually what's really our focus and it was about fostering unwavering self-belief in ourselves and having that propagate with every single client and organisation we worked with. I love so, that. It's beautiful. Um, we were talking mm -hmm. earlier, Richard, just around that and around how as organisations they often focus on the work which is of course that makes sense but they forget how much is needed to be focused on the individual and the human behavior and and mm. the unintended consequences of change as an example yeah so so when we started working as new 21 and seeing these two organizations come together what i actually noticed wasn't necessarily the differences but the similarities so mm -hmm. We've got a group of people that are incredibly passionate about exploring potential, actually, yeah. <laughs> which, which is probably why I'm part of it. They're intensely creative. Like, it's really amazing how it doesn't matter what challenge, and the pandemic is an interesting one, it doesn't matter what challenge, it's seen as an opportunity and seen as a creative um, spark. The anything is possible attitude and the passion to make things better. So I, I guess I noticed those similarities first. And you can really see how even though these two organisations, to be honest, were really quite different in some other ways which I'll talk to, the similarities were also there. Mm -hmm. you know, it seemed like um, a good complement and a great way to amplify what was already present for both organisations. Psychologically, though, I'm just going to talk, talk a little bit about paradox. Because what's really fascinating here is, and I'm not suggesting this is two different organisations, but within these two organisations coming together, there are paradoxes of hope and fear. Mm. Um, openness to possibility and conservatism. Curiosity mixed with a need for certainty. Oh, wow. This yeah. is awesome. Um, a lot of self-assurance and self-doubt. And I think developmentally, which is kind of how I was thinking about it, a pretty diverse range of what I would call a centre of gravity, which is, which is a dominant way we think about ourselves in the world. Every person in the organisation is a fairly um, significant range in how each person thinks about themselves in their world. And that creates the creativity, but it creates tension at the same time because we're not all thinking the same. So I noticed that at the same time. That's yeah, incredible. That's... Do you think, I mean, do, uh, yeah, I, I, I was, I mean, I, I don't know if it's relevant, but I, how much of that would you say is expected in organisations? I'd imagine that's fairly commonplace, right? Well, it's expected that there'll be some similarities, yes, and it's expected there'll be some differences. So the pragmatics are that whenever two teams, two organisations, two ways of working, mm. two philosophies come together, there's going to be, it's going to create a bunch of uncertainty. So, and as a consequence of that, some of those, some of those paradoxes I just shared are inevitable. Yeah. 
because mm. to varying degrees, some people will know what's happening and some people don't. Yeah. So in that sense, it's 100% normal. Yeah. How do you work through it though? How do you, how, I mean, maybe take us through the, the, our example. How on earth do you look at that and look at those polarities and go, okay, now here's what I need to do to actually help them come together and yeah. be better together? Well, the first thing to say is even though it's 100% normal that people experience these things whenever you're bringing different, different people and different groups of people together, it's not 100% normal that you would actually consider or address it directly. It's kind mm. of, I won't say ignored, but it's not necessarily considered. Yep. It, you know, we can't work on something we're not aware of. We're so busy trying to get on and change and create what is needed. And New 21, in a sense, fell into this pattern too. You know, yeah. so even though we did kind of focus on that, the first three months or f five months was really about, okay, What's the value proposition? What are we doing? What's needed? Where's the website? Who's working yep. with who? What are the projects? Where's the cash flow? All that type of stuff was about you know, the, the creation and what is needed. You know? So without really starting with where people are at. Yeah. And in, in a sense, my sense is that's why, as I say, like nearly 90% of change efforts fail. And it's because there's not, not that there's an absence of passion, but there's an absence of compassion. And Ooh, it's getting, it's, we all care a lot, yeah. but actually we're not taking the time to care about each other. each other and actually really where we're at and to acknowledge and to appreciate. Yeah. And, and within that, there's also that vulnerability of leaning in and being willing to, tell people how you're actually feeling mm. oh, um, yeah. and, and people that you've, you know, not worked with or known very well. And this fear, well, how are they going to respond if I, if I actually tell them the truth? Well, exactly. Cause fear as an emotion is a future focused emotion. It's looking to the future and not liking what we see. Mm. So the question then becomes, what, are we, what future are we seeing that we're afraid of, right? Um, is it real? Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is a whole range of things. For example, will, I, will, will this new team like me? Will I be able to contribute? Do I fit? And then these are not uncommon things. That, that This is why this is 100% normal. But the consequence of that is, with fear comes conservatism, which I've already shared, um, a, wanting for a want for certainty, because at least then I'll know what I need to do next. Self-doubt's going to kick in and a whole bunch of stuff. Absence of vulnerability mm -hmm. is, is part of that picture. So we really need to be focusing on normalising that we don't know. Yeah, right. So, how, I mean, how did you do that with the OGs then? What, what, what did you, you know, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm being tactical about this. I'm, I'm interested. There's so much going on and there's such a complexity there that I'm interested in how you even approach something like this to start yeah. that journey because it's not a destination. Hey, it's, it's definitely got to be a journey. Yeah. So I guess this, the first point is to, to say that without diminishing the significant um, emotional, financial, 
um, cost of COVID. Mm. I, I think it's a blessing in disguise because in our sense, the pandemic elevated people's emotions, generally speaking. Mm, so yes. They brought them closer to the surface and as a consequence allows uh, them to be more readily available to talk about because they were closer to the surface for each one of us. And the second is the time because practically when you're starting and bringing together a new team, there's a flurry of activity. Now, the flurry of activity in that instance was about alignment. It wasn't about work per se. Yeah. <laughs> so it actually gave us good time to reflect upon what, what was going on, how we felt about it, mm. where people are at. We have more time to ask each other those questions. Also, it brought the, it brought the curiosity of each other more to the fore. So I think mm. it was... The starting point was actually a factor that was external to ourselves that supported it, I think. Mm. Which isn't to say that we weren't intentional about trying to create that compassion and connection, but there was time for it. Yes. I think it's the big thing. And it's funny yes. you mentioned that as New 21, like that's what we do. And yet we also fell into the trap of focusing on the work, which is kind of normal in some regards. But Sean and I were talking about that as well, you know, like, it's how easy is it to get wrapped up in what needs to get done as opposed to, you know, how do we work together effectively? How do we um, come together as a team? How do we build that trust amongst us? How do, you know, all of that soft stuff, mm. which is absolutely the foundation. It's got to be the foundation of everything, you know, and the success, the ability to actually deliver on the work. But how many organisations actually don't do that well uh a lot <laughs> yeah i know that, that was more of a hypothetical question rather than one you needed to answer it's it's right? yeah totally i think it's, it's, a, it's really interesting what you said there richard about how the pandemic um and the fact that we we all sort of had to stop in a sense we were all at home no one was traveling to various clients all over Australia or anything like that we all sort of were in one place and and dealing with things and and that and that rawness of emotion that kind of naturally came out and I've never thought of it about the relationship between the pandemic and what we were going like mm. how it actually was an agent for the change process as opposed to another sort of barrier that we had it that's really interesting and yeah and as you were talking I was thinking oh absolutely because you know for some of us and myself included we were trying to navigate things like homeschooling and things and um, so there was an awful lot of stress and I would imagine that if this hadn't occurred I may have been trying to hide some of my real emotions because oh I don't want people to see the real me you know, mm. I'd be putting my makeup on every day and I'd be smiling and saying everything's fine. Mm. And really, I just didn't have um, that ability to put on this pretend shan. The real shan was there for everyone to see. And I've never really thought about how that actually would have helped the process. I always felt like the pandemic was hindering the process. Well, um, the only thing we can work with is the here and now. 
it's the context we find ourselves in and within it, positivity and negativity is available in equal measure. So it's just how we look at it. So in this situation where there's a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity, we can go, I know there's a problem. How do we contain it and control it and keep, you know, keep things as normal as possible? The flip side is you go, fantastic, there's uncertainty. How do we break something? <laughs> and then we'll work out what else is possible. Yeah. So I think mm. that I, my sense is that's what occurred is because the thing we're breaking here would, to, to really point to it, and it's something that once again has been facilitated across multiple contexts here from families you mentioned, Sean, to the work to socially is a break in identity. And I think mm. that's really what's going on here is even more broadly than U21, people's sense of who they are is less tethered to any one context, like you know, work, there's work me. Because actually the reconnecting with family identity and having that as a primary sense of self-understanding is actually increasing because people are spending more time with their family unit. They're spending more time with their family unit than they are with their work team. So the sense of who am I is shifting. So when mm. I think about how we work with the OGs, for example, but more broadly the organisation, fundamentally what we're working with is an identity transformation. That's what fundamental. So what is identity? So I'm going to just, I'm sort of simplifying a bunch of stuff here, but in essence, when a person asks these questions, their identity is what informs it and both is informed by it. So it both forms identity and informs identity. So it's a both, it's a two way cycle here, but who am I? Um, what do I stand for? What is the world out there and how do I understand that? And how best do I fit or do I contribute? Are the four fundamental questions a person is asking themselves all that time as wow. a way of understanding how I fit. But the same would apply in an organisation, like who are we? What do we stand for? What's the world out there that we're navigating? How do we best fit or contribute? Mm. So you've got two organisations who have a pretty clear sense of that for themselves. So if I was to ask, for example, Agile 11 and G2, prior to even us coming into contact with each other, what, how you would respond to that, you both entities and people will be pretty clear, right? And actually, when I think about at a really core level here, and this is a fundamental difference I noticed around particularly the world out there question, interpreting here. So each of you might have a different experience of this, but if I look at the Agile 11, the world out there was opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, probably driven a lot by, you know, the founder of Agile 11, you know, um, at G2, I think it was a challenge to be overcome. And that possibly is because of, you know, if I think about the history of G2 coming from a different country and starting from, from nothing here, having to overcome a whole bunch of factors really set the tone yeah, for really the underpinning. Like um, the world out there is something to be overcome. And yeah, you what see problem how do we solve? Yeah, yeah so absolutely. To be, to kind of be endured until we make it. Now, I don't see that as negative because it actually builds a different 
flavor of culture. Mm. So the key thing is, is when you bring two identities together, one's opportunity and one is to be overcome, there's going to be some tension there because we're finally seeing the world out there in a different way. So I think this is really fascinating about how we, you don't have to name it, but understanding a bit about that helps you know what you would need to transcend in order to find the new identity. So we don't get old stories and old patterns. Absolutely. And, and, and before you joined us, Richard, that's exactly what um, Sean and I were talking about. Obviously, Sean being from G2 and myself from the Agile 11. And, and I think you even mentioned, Sean, that some of your, your, your team may have, mentioned, may have said things like, you know, I'm not sure we quite understand what problem we're solving for yet. And the Agile 11 were quite possibly going, can't we just keep going? You know, can we just... <laughs> keep moving and so in some ways you know the problem you've just articulated exactly the experience that each of us was having from the different contexts with which we were operating Mm. and despite being you know very close and having lots of synergies in what we do the way we did it was actually quite different yeah yeah and yeah so i'm interested shan in your perspective on on what i've just shared there and what no, I think it's it's actually really interesting. And we were talking earlier and my interpretation, um, which I think fits with yours, was that G2 took a far more data-based approach, which is where that we'll find the problem, we'll understand it and we'll overcome it, you know, which is very aligned to what, what you are. And I, I had perceived the Agile 11 being far more relationship-based and the and instinct base, which may well link to that opportunities mm. mindset. Oh, of course, well. that's right. So, no, it's actually really fascinating and interesting to to hear someone else's impression of it. I think you're spot on there. <laughs> and what I love about this, and love about you know, I suppose, you know, New Twenty One when it, once it came together and potentially had the time to talk about, about this is that we're talking about it. How many times do we see that actually they don't talk about it? And so we're in violent agreement with how we're each experiencing the world or, you know, the new context that we're carving out. But how do you move past that? So it's great that we're in violent agreement that, yes, I'm seeing the way I think I see things and you're seeing the way things you see things. But, you know, that doesn't make us any better as a team. That's right. <laughs> So the key thing we're working with here is a, is a shift in identity where we're in part needing to let go of two different identities and form mm. a new one together. Mm. That's, and that's not easy because there's a whole bunch of stuff of, that we might not want to let go of. And, and practically, um, whether it be an individual or whether it be a team or an organisation or even culturally or socially, if I sort of extrapolate that even that far to what's going on in our um, national and, and global environment, it's very difficult to adopt something new if it's too distinct or too different to what current reality is. Like it feels, if it feels too foreign, right? We we won't necessarily make the first step. Now we only know we've transformed in hindsight and transformation is a fundamental change in form. So practically we're going to get there in the end, right? But we, at the start of the journey, we don't know that it's going to be fundamentally different, but at the end we go, wow, isn't it different? 
So this is sort of this paradox we're in at the same time is having to let go of something that has anchored our sense of who we are for such for a period of time and to create something that is unclear. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to acknowledge, and the OGs will probably have experienced this, that ten tension or conflict is inevitable. Now we can try and avoid it, but all conflict or tension tells us is that we have a problem together that we don't yet know how to solve. That's it. It's not a problem in per se. It's, it's simply an issue we don't know how to solve yet. So the key thing is we need to stay connected rather than disconnect. All right. Even though that's counterintuitive to what our, our hearts and minds want to do, we want to go, holy hell, let's escape <laughs> when <laughs> you can't do that. You got to stay with it because that's where the where that that tension is is where the learning is. So what we started doing practically the first step is to identify together what states. So in this new world, what elements of our identity of who we are individually and collectively is the hidden gold or the golden thread that we need to maintain going forward. Now, you use a whole range of methodology you might use here. Appreciative inquiry is just one, for example. But Richard, to the practical exercise that you, you ran yeah. with the OGs and then with the wider team. Yeah, so we ran this thing called um, a superpowers session. And the superpowers session was really about, each, in a practical sense, each one of us had to look at every other person in the team, the OG team, and to identify three things that made each other person magical? You know, what was, their, what was their superhero strength or their superpower? What was their secret source? What made them magical or whatever it might be? And we identified that for each other person. Then we identified what we thought each other person's Achilles heel is. So every superhero has an Achilles heel, you know, so Superman has his kryptonite, for example, right? So we, Every person, even though a superhero has an Achilles heel. And then what we needed to do is identify what superpower we had that was the antidote to that, to that Achilles heel. So we did that in a, in a session, in a conversation over a few hours, where we identified each other's superpowers. We shared those superpowers with each other. We then named for each other what our antidotes were. So we didn't necessarily share the Achilles heel. We just shared how I'm here to help you. Like I can see where you might get in your own way. You don't need to know that I know, but I know, and I'm here to let you know that I can help. Mm. And what were we trying to do in that particular session? We're trying to move because what can sometimes happen when two groups of people come together is we're trying to work out how we complement each other rather than compete with each other. Mm, we're nice. trying to work out how to appreciate each other rather than to evaluate or critique each other. We're trying to work out how to elevate each other rather than constrain each other. And we're trying to work out how to be authentic with each other and not apprehensive. It was really interesting because that was, that was the, what you've just described there was exactly how I felt at the end of it. And when we talk about unwavering self-belief, my self-belief elevated beyond words after that experience and because what I saw was you know a group of people all of whom uh, have 
uh, leadership capacity, all of whom have uh, practical skills that are, are very similar. And so there was perhaps this sense of, um, oh, I'm going to step on toes. Actually, at the end of this experience of sharing each other's superpowers, everyone's superpowers were different. Mm, um, there, there was, there was really uh, very few that o overlapped, <laughs> and it, that was the moment for me where I went, okay, you know, I, I actually see my identity far clearer now, and where I fit and how it works. Because several years ago, I did a project with with an organisation in the pharmaceutical space, and. This particular team, for those listeners that, who might be in this um, industry, everything is measured to the nth degree in pharma. Um, like you know exactly what's going on all the time. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. This team was measured and they were seen um, in the industry with a particular product mix to be the best performing sales team in a country. So I had a project with them and one of my first steps was to ask them individually actually in a very similar process that we're going through at night now that i'm just realizing is they were at the top of their game they felt like they're coming off the boil and they needed to know what to do next to rise to the next level so the similarities between agile 11 and g2 even there are fascinating but i asked them about what is the most amazing team they've ever been a part of and what made it amazing mm. now it was a really clear there was a bunch of stuff in that that's pretty tactical. But the key thing that stuck out for me is that what made the, them, them amazing and every other team they've been in that was amazing, amazing was that each person's job was to make everyone else brilliant. So it wasn't about being your best. It was about making sure that you made everyone else amazing or brilliant and trust that everyone else was doing the same for you. So in essence, you weren't focusing on yourself, you're focusing on everyone else, but everyone else was focusing on you. So you had a lot of people in your corner, not just yourself. And that was mm. the key difference in a good team versus the highest performing team was everyone was focused on everyone else and not themselves. It's so true. I mean, I know for myself personally, having come out of a big corporate that one of my last roles, not my very last role, but one of my last roles, I felt like I, it was dog eat dog, you know, it's like everyone was out for each other. And I'd never experienced that to that degree before, you know, because I'm very much around, let's, let's do it together. And let's work out how we can, you know, get the best outcome together. Mm. And it's, it, it certainly doesn't, it doesn't breed trust doesn't breed transparency and my experience is it quite literally just breeds competition and I'm not quite sure where the outcome <laughs> where what, what sort of outcome it drives well practically it's it, it, it's not going to foster unity mm. and it's going it's, and it's not going to allow for an alignment of resolve mm. and that's the two things I think that new 21 to be, in my experience captured pretty quickly was a sense of unity together and the superheroes process that we went through, I think was a cornerstone for helping this work actually, but a realization we're in it together and a, a, a sense of resolve that I remember the conversation 
is using a metaphor. Because we're talking about superheroes, and my, my personally, my favourite superhero is Thor. Right, and Thor's the god of thunder. He's also the protector of people, and he's got his hammer. And this hammer can the metaphor is that this, the hammer can destroy mountains, right? Nice. But so this resolve that we can we can overcome anything. And the statement that came out at the end of the conversation with the, the OGs when, was, together we can move mountains. And it kind of became this, uh, this embodied sense of, of unity there. When we realised we had this resolve that it doesn't matter what happens, we're going to be able to move mountains. Mm. It's pretty powerful, actually. Mm. And I'm interested, Katja, because we then moved, after having this incredible experience as the OGs, we said, this isn't just for the OGs. We need everyone in the team to experience this and understand their superpowers yes. and how they enable everyone else in the team. So I'm interested, from your perspective, how did you find the experience of sharing your superpowers and everyone else's strengths? Yeah. Uh, look, interesting. I mean, it's. I loved it because I, I, I loved the fact that well, one self self reflection is a great thing. Self reflection of looking inside and what what do I think that I bring to the table and looking at what other people bring to the table. I hadn't seen it through the lens initially, and so when I had to write the Achilles heel, I remember being quite, um, you know, I kind of intuitively knew what people's Achilles heels were but I was scared that I was going to have to share them. <laughs> and, and what I loved was actually the process of not sharing them and actually, well, what, what, what's the antidote? Because I don't look at, you know, that's not, I think out of my history coming out of a corporate, that's the last, that's not actually something that was encouraged. So it's a lovely way to look at it and to, well, how do I support that person? What is it that I bring to the table that can elevate them as opposed to, you know, if you focus on the problem, you've got the problem. You're just amplifying the problem. If you focus on the solution, then, of course, you've got the solution. It's, it's you know, it makes perfect sense. It was a lovely opportunity and, and really nice as well to, I think, if you remember, we sat back and, and each person told each other their superpowers. So in my example, you know, I sat there whilst, what, 19 other team members told me what they saw my superpowers to be. And I, you know, I didn't find that daunting at all. I actually found it really refreshing because there was some common themes there, which were lovely, that I it was nice to hear. And it was nice for me to hear what people outwardly see of me I found that, yeah, immensely useful. So it was definitely a good exercise to go through and, and an opportunity to sit back and think about us as a team. You know, so it was the individual, my individual experience of it, but then the collective experience of it. And I think if you remember, we all said that after doing it, we all went and ate a lot of chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what that was about. But Katja, did you find, as I did, that after that experience you became more intentional about using your strengths for other yes. people yes definitely definitely because it's like you know and I, I think as a group we have an aversion to using profiles or psychometric tests and all the rest of it but I, I, I've used others in the past and, and I find it useful because it, it helps me understand my counterpart 
not not to label them, not to say that's 100% of them, but this exercise, what it did was help me understand my counterparts and help me understand myself within the context of my counterpart and, and what I bring to the table, what they bring to the table and how we work better together. It's It's got to be, yeah, it's a good thing, you know, mm. like, Mm. It made me also listen better as well. Yes, yes. Listen and, and dare I say, suspend judgment. You know, like I wouldn't mm. consider myself a judgmental person, but like you said, Richard, we're always, we're all of the time, we're always looking at, you know, how we fit into things and what it means and, and all of that. You know, it's all happening on a subconscious level. And so judgment is happening on a subconscious level. And I think... Mm by understanding one another and understanding myself within that context of others, it helps me suspend judgment and look at, look at it from a different lens, a more positive lens and a more developmental lens, if you like. Mm. Yeah. That, that leads to, this isn't a, that particular process was an event, Mm. but we, we've baked in and this is, the process that we've baked into new 21 is development as a, as a process, Mm. as much as development is an experience, it's a process. Mm. So our, and this is something we started with once again, four or five, four years ago, maybe, maybe a little less, I don't know, like years blend into each other. Um, I feel like we've been around each other for such a long time, (laughs) but we started out what we call the developmental edge process. And in essence, in a, like a brief summary, the developmental edge process is inviting each person to recognise what it is about them that is holding them back. It could be a blind spot or a faulty assumption or some sort of emotional or relational shadow or it could be untapped potential where people have some skill that they just don't think is relevant. So they leave it in the drawer versus bringing it out, you know? Yes. Um, so we, we try and we support each person to find what their developmental edge is, name it really clearly for themselves. And then we work on vulnerability, which I know we've touched on briefly, but when you're able to, so it's not just about focusing on the positive, which is superpowers thing was, but that's useful when we're trying to build resources and build that sense of appreciation for each other. Mm. But it's also all in service of establishing some supportive foundations so that when we need to be vulnerable, we actually know each other well enough and deeply enough to be able to do that. Mm. So if we don't know each other, it's difficult to be vulnerable. You know, relational risk taking is tough when we mm. were unsure about how other people will respond. But if we know that other people have our back, then being vulnerable about what we're not good at or what we're afraid of or what we're anxious about or what we're, how we're going to get triggered or react or become defensive is, is we're better placed to be able to do that work. So establishing an edge, learning how to be vulnerable. And most importantly, I think in this process here is this idea of what we call the, we call a buddy process, the buddy um, um, relationship. Now, a buddy mm. relationship is if I know what my edge is, then I relate to this buddy process is this idea of continuous feedback, which I'm going to get to in a second. But const- in reality, if I know my edge and everyone else knows it, then they can give me feedback constantly about how I'm either avoiding it or falling into it. 
Like I can see the pothole, but if I keep finding the pothole, I need someone to tell me, <laughs> don't step that way. Do yeah. this instead, right? So, <laughs> so it's if I get that feedback and some of it's going to be really helpful, like, hey, you avoided your pothole just then, and some of it's going to be more confronting. You, well, you fell into it. You crashed flat in your face in that pothole just then. Did you notice that? So I need a buddy. And that buddy's job isn't to coach me or to tell me what to do. It's not an advisor. In essence, it's a sounding board. Mm. Their job is to listen to me deeply as I work through what I'm observing about myself and my edge and what I need to do about it next in order to stay true to myself and not collapse to something that is a lesser uh, experience of myself. So it comes back to this idea of listening to each other. So we've actually baked deep listening into the very process of how we're in relationship with each other. And that has some knock-on effects that are significant. First, it helps us stay open and not judge with each mm. other. Mm. Second, and equally importantly, I think it allows us to be better um, coaches and consultants and advisors and colleagues to our clients. Because the real thing here is that the, I know I've shared a few times in other contexts that the best insights are the insights the person comes up with for themselves. Yep, definitely. So if we're in the consulting game telling clients what to do, then we're robbing them of the opportunity to learn. Our job is to listen and to ask the question that reveals what's next for the client so they actually generate the insight and the action for themselves. And that's mm. what we're practicing through our developmental buddy process. And I think it makes us, one, distinct in the market from a range of other firms. Mm. And it actually makes us better at what we do. And we're practicing it on ourselves first. I love yeah. that. And, you know, my husband and I were talking about this just earlier today because he's a consultant of sorts within the furniture manufacturing business. And he was, he's about to go into a new client and, and, you know, it's really easy for him to diagnose what's, what's working and what's not working. But where it's challenging is, okay, so just knowing that, knowing what needs to get fixed is like, it's, it's the tip of the iceberg. Actually, how do you take people on that journey? of helping them first of all to understand why it's important for them to go on that journey then helping to build the desire that they're going to go on that they want to go on that journey and then the knowledge of what they might need to do that's actually the bulk of the work right like it's not it's not the diagnostic and what needs to change it's like how do you get people to to go there definitely and the key thing you you uh, I think you're pointing to here is and we may talk about this later as well, but this notion of a move from certainty mm. to, and I don't mean this in a negative way, to uncertainty, because uncertainty mm. creates, opens up curiosity. So yes. when we're not clear about something, we become more open to what's going on here, right? So, and I think that's actually the most important step is to, we might diagnose something, but we're diagnosing it based on what criteria? experience in other contexts yeah so the diagnosis is going to be 100 percent correct if the current context ourselves and our clients find ourselves in is exactly the same as some past context mm. but if it's not then any diagnosis that isn't generated from the group of people that need to transform or change or to implement whatever it is that needs to be done 
is counterproductive to the success of whatever you're trying to do. Mm. So an example of that might be, I can appreciate personally um, or individually some of where, where each person within the new 21 group is at in terms of their own development. Um, but there's no point in me pointing that out because just because I see it doesn't mean that it's relevant. <laughs> it needs to be the, the, the insight generated from within is the most powerful because it's also the one that the person um, inherently has the resources to implement. If I can yep. see a problem, the very notion I can see it means I also and already have the resources I need to address it. Mm. And that goes individually, it goes as a team, it goes as an organisation. It goes socially. If we can see the problem socially, it means we have the resources to do it. We just may not be connected with them well enough yet, but we have mm. them available. So we've been talking about igniting change, transforming cultures, where, you know, how we've gone on this journey and how you've supported us to go through this process where we, we ourselves fall in, fell in some ways into the old trap of focusing on the work and not, not the gaps in between. And, and we rectified that as soon as we re realised it, if you like. And, and that it's a process, you know, like that. I love what you said, you know, that you, you, you can... I think sometimes we can also, as, as a whole, I'm talking quite broadly here, but you can fall into, there's a method that's going to be the silver bullet. There is no method that's the silver bullet. In some ways, mm. it's a sequence. It's a whole lot of different things that, that, that has outcomes and it's, it's a continuum. You, mm. can't, you can't just you know, tick a box and say, right, we've done that. We've, we've dealt with the change now. We've, we've moved on and we have now a new organisation and we can forget about talking to one another because we've done it. It's, it's got to be an ongoing process and in some ways baked into your operating rhythm how do you identify i mean with that how do you how do you take organizations on that journey you know what what would you say are the 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 things that organizations should be considering when they're going through transformation and change especially when we're in a world that is so you know it, it, I, it's less certain these days right and what i mean by that is and this is something that New 21 has done and we've done it and when we engage with other organisations and, um, and people we've partnered with as well is there's three levels to think about that we tend to focus on. The first is the work. So that's the most obvious one, the most practical one, and that's where most organisations start. Like, okay, there's a problem. Let's do some work and find a solution. Mm. Right? So I'm going to call that the level of the work. The next level to think about is how we think about the work. So that's going to help us understand why did we select approach A and not approach B to addressing mm. the problem? What potential biases are in play here? What mm. are the contextual considerations? Like how did we understand the context and how to determine what we would do? Because intuitively we might be doing that, but until we make it explicit, moving from the work to how we think about the work, then a second loop of learning isn't there. We actually don't have a conscious, cognitive, rational understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. And the third level of the work is who am I in the work? 
So what I'm pointing to here is there's a work, then there's how we think about it, which is what I'm going to call mental agility. Like it's the ability to see the same problem from multiple perspectives to see which is the best way to do it and not just default to habitually what I've always done. Mm. Right? That's cognitive or mental agility. The third level there is who am I in the work um, brings online identity agility. Who do I need to be in relation to whatever is happening so that I can be effective for myself and for other people? So that, you know, leadership is one, isn't one size fit all, for example. Leaders carve out a context and they determine how they need to be in that context for it to be successful. So yeah. what we're trying to do in essence in our work is support people to think about what works needs to be done at a practical and pragmatic level and what do we know about it? How do we need to think about the work to make sure that we're doing so in the most effective way, given the context we're in and who are we in it? So how do we need to show up in the work itself for it to be sustainable and ourselves to be sustainable in it. Now, the biggest challenge is the third one usually because people will go, I just need to be doing it, don't I? That's my job. Yep. <laughs> that tends to put one person, a single, single point of failure in the center of any initiative. So we need to work out how to get out of our own way and that's where the developmental edges kick in. So how do we make sure that we're in the, we are in the work in the right way to, to enable it to be successful independent of or interdependent with, I should say, who we are in it. Mm. So I'm just pointing to some levels of thinking about whatever this change is before we even get into like what are the mechanics or cons yes. considerations about how change occurs. Yeah. Wow. Like look at COVID's a case in point that, mm. that there is less certain of which direction we should be heading and when, because the goalposts keep getting moved. Yeah. So I guess the first step to think about here is before we even get into potentially a process or a journey or a set of steps or something is, is to elevate our thinking. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today. This is our first podcast and we, we thought long and hard about what we would talk about and who, what guest and you felt like absolutely um, the most natural guest to bring in, Richard, being our part in working with us and, and starting from within as we start to explore outside of ourselves, you know, what we're doing with organisations, what they're experiencing when they're igniting change and transforming cultures, which of course sound like big words, right? But we're igniting change and transforming cultures in millions of different ways every day. Like, you know, all organisations are going through this process. And I know from an extent, you know, as a member of the new 21, previously the Agile 11, I feel like the way we've gone through this process has been, it's been wonderful to have such intent put around it. Like you mentioned, Richard, not many organisations, you know, do this. And I don't think it's malicious, maliciously not doing it. It's just, you know, you just don't think about it, right? It's like, oh, I've got a set of KPIs, I need to deliver on it. But putting intent around the human side is just such an important part of the journey and that unless we start to do this more and more we're going to you know we're going to come up against bigger and bigger hurdles as we move forward yeah absolutely um, it's a sense that if organizations are going through change like this and it's feeling easy then they're missing something yeah totally right like actually 
tension is part of the journey and it, and it's and you've talked about this before Richard in other contexts around purposeful tension I, I love that I never I never saw it that way I always sort of I think I've always viewed tension with a negative mindset but in actual fact how can you not have tension when you've got different groups of people coming together and and when through the process of change you are letting go of something you have to otherwise you're not changing right I just think knowing what that tension is and leveraging that tension, which I feel like you helped us do rich, you know, like you helped us to yeah, stand back from it and actually look at, well, how do we, how do we um, leverage each other's Achilles heels, if you like, or leverage our strengths to support others with their Achilles heels. But you don't, it's not like you say, right, Sean, uh, you're doing X, Y, Z. So I'm going to come in and help you with, with my um, collaborative spirit. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure how well that would have worked. Um, uh, you did it, it, you know, it's done in a way that's just nuanced mm. and it's happened. It's happening through the work without us even knowing it's happening through the work. Yeah. So I guess the, the summation of that for me is several years ago, I, I was working with a reading read a book and was working with the the I Ching, which is a particular prediction process out of Taoist philosophy. And this book, the thing that stuck me with this book of the of the many that was fascinating, but the in the opening um, gambit, the author spoke about the Western way and the Eastern way of approaching life. Now the Western way is uh, there's a there's a way for me. I need to go and find it, right? So it's more active, and I'm taking control. You know, the eastern way is there's a natural flow of things. I need to find the flow. Mm. And I think that's my philosophy when I think about how I work with New Twenty One is there's a natural flow. If we try and orchestrate too much about what needs to happen. There's a, there's, a, there's, there's a way here, I need to do it versus a natural flow, how do we align with it? Mm. Then it can feel like change is imposed. Now, that's yes. not to say that we're not intentional about how we work with that flow, using the same metaphor. You can shift the banks of a river, for example, right? But what we're not doing is stopping the flow of water. We're just shifting its direction. Mm. <laughs> We just need to be staying with what is the natural flow here? How do we shift its direction in a way that is purposeful and generative? So mm. the key thing I think about often is generative. How do we make a decision that creates more potential? It doesn't diminish potential, but it creates potential. Because every time we do that, we're broadening what's possible. Mm. Whilst still staying in the flow. And I think that's my philosophy. And intuitively, it's how New 21 works anyway. But I don't think I've ever articulated that before to the team until this conversation. But that's what goes mm. through my mind all the time is where's the thread? Where's the natural flow here? How do we tap into it? How do we shift the edges of the banks of this river, but in a way that doesn't result in some um, empty estuary that was swirling stagnant water? You know, it has to yes. stay I love it. So powerful. Well, with that, I think we've, we've come to the end of our first podcast, Sean. High five. 
Number well done us. Survived. Yeah, well <laughs> done us. Thanks to the audience listening because it's, it's, it's certainly a learning occasion for us, but fabulous to, to be on the road and great to have you with us, Rich. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and chat with you both. I appreciate the sense of revealing insights together. So I appreciate your time. Well, that marks the end of the first ever New 21 podcast, Katja. And thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Oh, it's been so much fun. Thank you, Sean, And thank you all. We hope you'll join us next time when we interview another extraordinary changemaker. To make sure you don't miss the episode, click the subscribe button now. And if you're interested in learning more about New 21 and perhaps reading some of our blogs on igniting change and transforming cultures, then please check out our website at www.new21.com. That's N-E-U-2-1.com. Fantastic. And we look forward to seeing you next time.